Whence art thou? Nothing personal. Shakespearean word of the day. Today is Friday. We've made it to another Friday. February 19th, 2021. Whence art thou? Not W-H-E-N-C-E. It's W-E-N-T-Z. As in Carson Wentz, art thou? I'm in Indianapolis. Anyone remember Carson Wentz out there? If you're not paying attention, he was the quarterback who won a ring with the Philadelphia Eagles while holding a clipboard. As Nick Foles took the team in 2018 to brand new heights under team owner Jeffrey Lurie, not Loria, Lurie, after he had signed a huge contract extension, and then he stunk. And then he came back and was hurt, and then was bad, and then was hurt, and then was bad, and then he was upset. I demand a trade. I don't want to be here. Carson Wentz had just signed right after the Eagles had won a Super Bowl without him, signed that huge extension. We've talked about player empowerment on nothing personal. Player empowerment, not to effectuate change socially. No, that's not the empowerment we're talking about. To effectuate change singularly. That's the type of player empowerment that can be very dangerous to a front office and to the success of a team. So Carson Wentz gets his agent, speaks to his GM, and says, I've got a plan. Trade me. Look at what Matthew Stafford got. That was a big trade. Look what they're going to ask for Deshaun Watson. I'm Carson Wentz. So the Eagles called every team. Here's the number of teams bidding for the services of Carson Wentz. Wait for it. Just raise your tiny little pinky. Raise it up. Raise it up a tiny little bit. Yahtzee, one team. They could not get a bidding war. They could not get any traction at all. The Indianapolis Colts were a natural fit for a quarterback, I guess, because their head coach is Frank Reich, and Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator when Carson Wentz was good enough to warrant that extension when he played for the Eagles. Frank Reich went to his owner and probably said, I got this. Carson's the man. I made Carson the man. I'm going to bring him back and make him the man again. We're going to be better. Our team's going to be better, and I don't think we have to give up a lot because no one else is bidding. Here's what we have to do. It's sort of simple. No problem. I just want to make sure I get it right. I'm going to read it directly. I'm going to read it exactly. A third-round pick, and then a conditional second-round pick that could be a first-rounder if Wentz actually plays. What an interesting trade structure. What the Colts are saying by acquiring Carson Wentz in a trade with the Philadelphia Eagles is they're saying, I'll take the rest of his contract. I'll give you a third-round pick and a second-round pick. But if, which by the way, the currency for quarterbacks needs to be first-round picks, the difference makers generally are going to be first-round picks for a quote-unquote erstwhile franchise QB. Carson Wentz needs to play 75% of the Colts' offensive snaps. And if he does, that becomes a first-round pick. Hmm. So I'm Frank Reich. I'm calling plays. I'm trying to be good. My team isn't good. We're out of the playoff race. Carson Wentz so far has taken 74% of the snaps. Bring, bring. It's the GM. Hey, Frank, uh, you're not playing Carson Wentz anymore. What do you mean? We got to, let's try. We got Carson Wentz. He's great. I told you he'd be great. No, 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 no. We're not going to give up 
a first round pick when it could be a second round pick when we have no nothing to play for play the backup quarterback and then we only have to give the second round pick not a first round pick don't get them to 75 percent. believe you me we keep track of those incentives we keep track of those triggers now if the Colts are competitive do you play Carson Wentz I think you probably do you probably do so what happened here why would the Philadelphia Eagles make history? Because they did. There's something in football called dead cap. Dead cap is what I like to refer to in baseball as a, when you sign a crappy player who then you release. You still got to pay him. Dead cap is when you have money that is owed a player that counts against the cap for your team in football. Now, here's the interesting part. If the player's not playing for you, <clears throat> it's as though he's playing for you which means you think your team is better without him playing for you and without replacing that money with an actual live body who is playing for you. So the Philadelphia Eagles said, we're going to make history. We're going to take a $34 million cap hit, most in history. Did Carson Wentz have some sort of inappropriate friendship with someone on the team? I'm speculating. I know that's not it. Actually, I don't know what it is because it's got to be historical. It's got to be something I can never contemplate. With 18 years of front office experience, I'm trying to think of what Carson Wentz had to have done or said or acted like to make it so Jeffrey Lurie would not just fire Doug Peterson. That wouldn't be enough. The problem between Wentz and the Eagles goes as deep as the Grand Canyon for the Eagles to have made this trade. And the question I have for the Eagles front office is this. What was the inflection point? What made it so you were going to grant his demand for a trade before building up his value by putting him on the field and saying play? Do you know that he can't play anymore? Is he going to fail his physical with the Colts? Did he do something that is going to come out later? that is so unbelievable that it makes the relationship beyond repair? Did you get so offended, Jeffrey Lurie, that you overruled, Jeffrey Lurie, remember, that you overruled your football people, that you were willing to take the dead cap hit and say, you know what, we're better off because that's what Jeffrey Lurie's done in the past. He's pulled ownership, said, I'm the owner now because this deal does not get done without the owner approving it. This is not a GM deal. This is not a head coach deal. This is not a head of player personnel deal. This is an owner-driven deal. When you make history by taking on that amount of dead cap, you are doing it as the owner, especially a invested owner, someone who is involved, potentially meddlesome. It is a slam dunk. How does this end? The way most things do. With tears and a journey. The tears are Eagles fans watching their team being run into the ground. <laughs> and the journey is Carson Wentz going to the middle of our country, reuniting with his mentor and trying to reclaim his career back. Whence art thou is the nothing personal word of the day. So we practice here on nothing personal segues. 
I guess we're just going to go into a topic. It's an unpleasant topic, but a very interesting one. Very interesting. And it was brought to our attention, not the subject matter, but the exact question by someone, a listener or a viewer of Nothing Personal. By the way, thank you. Go ahead, Coca. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson is when you go on Twitter at David P. Samson and you hit follow and then you go into the DMs and you ask a question. And I look around and I try to answer some on Twitter. I try to answer some in the show. We do an end of month mailbag episode. It'll come again at the end of February. If you're new to the show and you want to get caught up on some things, go back to the end of month mailbags. Those are some some interesting episodes. I know it's hard to go all the way back because we're here at episode 314, but I appreciate the effort and I appreciate your 45 minutes every single day that you give. So one of the questions asked yesterday, and so you want to talk to Samson, that's based on a movie called Half-Baked, was how would you handle welcoming Domingo Herman back into your clubhouse? Here's the story. Domingo Herman is a player traded to the Yankees by the Marlins. Yeah, we had Domingo Herman. Domingo Herman was a very high-performing pitcher and then got suspended for violating the domestic abuse policy of Major League Baseball. During the course of his suspension, he went back to the Dominican and he had some very scary, very scary social media posts, wondering whether or not he was going to retire from baseball, wondering whether or not he was going to end his life, crying out for help. Domingo Herman is back in spring training, trying to work his way back into rotation that needs a performing Domingo Herman as the Yankees try to compete in the American League or in Major League Baseball with a rotation that's got Garrett Cole leading it. They signed Corey Kluber. Jameson Talon. Injured guys who may or may not be able to perform if they, they used to be good, but they're not. They're not deep. Severino's not coming back till the middle of the season. To make a long starting pitching story short, which is not what this is, segment is about, the Yankees need pitching, no matter what their payroll is. Can you imagine a team that has a $300 million player? They need pitching. Domingo Herman has to walk back into his clubhouse in Tampa. What does he do? How does he come back and join that team? Given what happened yesterday. What happened yesterday is there's a player rep. They've got a closer who they acquired from Baltimore, signed a big deal with them. Good closer, good guy. His name is Zach Britton. Zach Britton is not nearly the player he was, but more of a man every day than he was. Involved in the players' union, involved in a positive way, the type of player you want on your team. When you get to spring training during these times of Zoom or not, players have to meet the media. They go into Zoom rooms. They give press conferences about your offseason, about expectations for the season, because the fans are looking and starving for any sort of information. We offer media training to our players who would want it. We used to talk about messaging to our players in pre-spring training meetings, try to give players talking points when we know they're going to be asked certain questions. And one of the problems when you've got a teammate who, number one, doesn't like talking to the media, that means that the media is going to have to talk to their teammates about them, and that just makes you selfish. Number two, who after a bad game disappears, someone else is going to have to answer for that bad game. Number three, when you've done something off the field, 
everybody's going to be asked about it. Number four, when there are language barriers, this reality, no matter what baseball does to try to correct this, and they have, they made it necessary to hire a translator to always be in the clubhouse, to always travel with the team, to be available to help with interviews for players who do not speak English to the English speaking media. But the English speaking media develops relationships and they are more comfortable with English speaking players. So when you have a language barrier, you are definitely not going to be able to answer in depth the way you would if it were in your first language. So we know going in that the Yankees will have to speak about Domingo Herman. That's just the fact of life when a player is coming back from such a long suspension. So Zach Britton was asked about it, and he said something that he chose his words extremely carefully. When asked about whether or not Domingo Herman owes him an apology, he said he owes me nothing. He said, I think it's off the field that he needs to take care of. Sometimes you don't get to control who your teammates are, and that's the situation. I don't agree with what he did. I don't think it has any place in the game or off the field at all. These leagues have spent so much time in the past few years trying to get out ahead of domestic violence. I have been uniquely and sometimes to my detriment with my employer. Loud and vociferous about how the NFL has dealt with domestic violence, how they look the other way. As long as the player is performing. Baseball is no different. The reason Domingo Herman is in spring training with the Yankees is because he is paid just about the minimum and he has a chance to well outperform his contract on a team that needs it. The Yankees brass got together and said the juice is worth the squeeze to have players answer for him, to have him come in and get back into our rotation. But you can rest assured, the minute, and I mean the minute Herman is not performing, he will be released. They will find a way to get rid of him because the distraction that he is bringing into that clubhouse will then no longer be worth it. There are several types of distractions. Some teammates just, some guys aren't good guys. Some guys are just bad teammates. Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent were notorious for being bad teammates in San Francisco. Notorious. But when you're two of the best players on earth, teammates have a tendency to ignore it. Hanley Ramirez was a bad teammate. Our guys tended to ignore it because they loved him on the field until he couldn't perform as well on the field, and then they got sick of his shtick. But bad teammates are not domestic violence abusers and violators of a domestic abuse policy. Bad teammates could mean selfish. Bad teammates could mean ornery. Bad teammates could mean they're annoying. It has nothing to do with their ability on the field, and it has nothing to do with violating the rights of women or anybody off the field. What Domingo Herman did, that doesn't make him a bad teammate. What Domingo Herman did makes him a bad man. And what Zach Britton was trying to say very, very clearly is that if I were the GM of the team, 
I wouldn't have him in this clubhouse because I want men around me who can be examples to their other teammates, to our fans, and to everyone surrounding this organization. What message are we saying to our employees or to all of the people in New York and around the world who love the Yankees when we can look the other way? And now you're saying, David, be consistent. You believe in second chances for people, don't you? Yes, I do. You believe in if you've done the crime, do the time and then get back into society. Yes, I do. But I also know that being a professional baseball player is a privilege. It's not a right. When I talk to you about second chances, I'm talking to you about rights, the right to vote, the right to work, the right to live, the right to become a productive member of society. And now you're saying to me, this is the only way Domingo Herman can earn a living is by throwing a baseball. This is his way of getting back into society, his way. No, you don't have the right to a specific job that applies to a unique talent that you may have more than anybody else. That's not how it goes. It's a privilege to be a big league player. Domingo Herman has to earn his way back into his clubhouse, not by apologizing to his teammates. How about his family? How about telling us what road he has taken during his suspension to address what certainly could be mental health issues and what are definitely issues that need to be addressed through therapy, where you believe that violence is a way to solve any sort of family issue that you have. Domingo Herman is going to walk in and talk to players as best as he can. And the Yankees are doing the best they can. But the way this ends is with no tears and another journey. The journey is Domingo Herman out of baseball, leaving the Yankees and then wondering whether another team will give him a chance. I'll give you a way to see right now about Domingo Herman. He will not start 20 games for the New York Yankees this year. You just wait. Domingo Herman will not start 20 games for the New York Yankees. Thank you for the So You Want to Talk to Samson. It's a complicated question in some ways, and it's incredibly simple in others. What principles are you going to have when you run a team? I tried to stick to principles for 18 years. God, I was not perfect. <laughs> there is no doubt about that. Okay. What happens when you sign a player offseason who was your own player and he's a free agent, you bring him back? You know, when uh, we've said things like Tatis going to the Padres, and we're going to talk about Tatis later in the show, or JT Realmuto re-signing with the Phillies, you can't say you've become better. You've just avoided becoming worse, right? That's the equation. So celebrating the signing of your own free agent it's really just celebrating the fact that you're now paying more money for the same guy and hoping that he becomes better to warrant the increase in dollars. JT Realmuto is not becoming a better catcher. He's the best in the game. I don't think that he will become a better player when you're as good as he is. The increments are tiny. But he got his big free agent contract. And then he was in the news yesterday. He fractured his thumb. He's out a month. <sighs> I'm trying to bring you back into my mind as I would go through the season. Toward the end of my career, I became uh, in, a, in a mental state where I knew 
that it was coming to an end because the losses hurt way more than the wins felt good. Where every time the phone rang and it was Mike Hill or before that, Larry Beinfest or Dan Jennings, I would assume something bad had happened instead of hoping that something good had happened and that was the call. It used to be that bad calls just came at odd times of the day, very early morning, very late at night. But then bad calls start coming during games. Someone got injured. Bad calls start coming just during the course of a day. Injuries became such a, such a, a fear of mine because we did not have the money to replace injured players. We didn't have depth. And so basically you're walking a tightrope the entire season, hoping that none of your players get injured. And then after that, hoping they perform well above what you projected them to play or for the good players to play to the level you projected them. Phone rang yesterday and the Phillies found out that during the course of a workout, the bullpen, he fractured his throwing thumb. Now they've got to say he's only going to miss two weeks. He may be able to still catch bullpens because in a bullpen, you don't really throw. You can catch with your non-throwing hand and then flip the ball to somebody standing next to you. It can't be a live bullpen. It can just be what happens in the beginning of spring training, which is you're throwing pitchers throw off a bullpen, not to a hitter. It's literally stacked bullpens five in a row. He could catch those bullpens, but you can't hit with a fractured thumb. He said that he's going to be ready for opening day. The Phillies said he's going to be ready for opening day. My experience with fractured thumbs, they're telling you two to four weeks. I would say go, go to the over. It's closer to four weeks. What happens when players come back from fractured thumbs, if you're not watching this on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, I'm putting that sort of donut over my thumb. That It's sort of a, uh, a white cushion because when you swing a bat, the torque on your thumb when your wrists break is tremendous. And what it causes is for your thumb to release off the bat when the pain happens so much, which means the foul, foul, the follow through is not as strong as it needs to be in order to drive the ball. Thumbs matter. It's just a nightmare having an injury like that this early in spring. We would always paint it the way the Phillies are painting it. No problem. He'll be back for opening day. The problem is opening day comes when you've had spring training to prepare for that opening day. When you miss spring training, you use the first month of the season as your spring training. That's the reality. For hitters, they get into a groove. It's why we start them with one or two at-bats in the beginning of spring training, the first 10 games. Then we move them up to play five innings, six innings. We build them up to nine innings. Then they play nine innings the last week, and then they go back down to five innings or four innings the last day or two of the last two exhibition games, and then you start the 162-game slog, and that's in a normal year without the COVID protocols, without the issues that are going to be so pervasive this coming season. So JT Realmuto, while I know him well, will have to get into his groove and that will hurt the Phillies in a division that is so competitive as the NL East, where them starting off struggling in any way will be enough to put them far enough behind that they will not be able to catch the Mets, the Nationals, or the Braves. It's a big deal, this injury. And it brought back to me all of the phone calls, all of the worry. And that's what it is when you run a team. You just worry all day, every day that your guys will be okay, that they're not going to break the law. They're not going to do something stupid. And then there won't be a freak injury. <sighs> Worked up just thinking about it, actually.
I mean, it literally worries me just thinking about it. Good luck, JT. Please come back. So much fun to watch JT play. Make sure you watch him. All right, we're going to review a movie when we come back that I was told to watch yesterday, watched it, and immediately wanted to review it. And then we're going to talk Adam Silver met the media, went on the talk show circuit to try to get better headlines about his all-star game. And then we're going to talk a little baseball with Fernando Tatis and a deal that got done many years ago. We'll be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. You've made it through the gauntlet of commercials. We appreciate that. We are here five days a week. We talk sports, entertainment, politics, anything that's trending, anything that you find interesting, that we find interesting. No BS, no guests, no callers, just me, just you, 45 minutes. And of course, there's Coca. Coca's pulling the strings. Part of what we do at Nothing Personal is we review a movie every single day. Because I watch a movie every day. I've watched a movie every day for decades. You guys are so good at giving me suggestions. I keep a list I'm in the notes section of my phone, the suggestions that you want me to watch. I try to get to them. But something struck me about a suggestion I got yesterday to watch a musical documentary called Echo in the Canyon. And I have been really into musical documentaries recently, really into music. And I didn't know what Echo in the Canyon was, had never heard of it. And I don't read previews, trailers, I do nothing. But I look to see running time so I can plan how much time. 82 minutes, hour 22, that's it. Jacob Dylan is Bob Dylan's son. Jacob Dylan made a movie about Laurel Canyon. Laurel Canyon is the West Coast center of music back in the 60s. It's where everybody went, the mamas, the papas, the birds. When the Beatles came, they went. Frank Zappa lived there. Houdini, all sorts of interesting characters. 
Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Jackson Brown. They were all there. If you've never heard of these people, that's okay. Have you heard of Bob Dylan? He had a son named Jacob, has a son named Jacob, who's now 51. Bob Dylan's son is 51, OMG. In any case, this movie was perfect. It's Jacob Dylan with modern day musicians, Fiona Apple, Nora Jones, Beck, performing hits of the 60s while speaking to the artists who wrote them, including Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. I've reviewed Love and Mercy on this show. If you have not seen Love and Mercy, and if I haven't reviewed it, then I'm wrong. If you have not seen Love and Mercy with John Cusack, go watch it immediately. The brilliance of the Beach Boys and of Brian Wilson is staggering. It's not about, I wish we all could be California. And you think David Lee Roth? Go watch Brian Wilson, Love and Mercy, and watch Echo in the Canyon. The interviews that Jacob Dylan does, the pace of the movie, the way they go from 60s footage to current footage, everything they do. I did not review Love and Mercy, Coca. I must have done on a Levitard show then because I know I've watched it and I'm almost sure I've reviewed it. Thank you for checking. By the way, Coca keeps a list of every movie we review, every way to see, every word of the day. And I know we hadn't done Whence Art Thou before. I know we hadn't reviewed Echo in the Canyon because I just watched it. So Love and Mercy is a movie that uh, you get a double review. It's a movie about the life of, of Brian Wilson. It is uh, fascinating, literally fascinating. John Cusack is what I would call an outstanding actor. And he's made it from when he was a kid to as an adult. Check it out. But let's get back to Echo in the Canyon, please. The music that inspired the Beatles came from Laurel Canyon. The Beatles inspired the music in Laurel Canyon. The cross-pollinization, which is a term used in the movie, in the documentary, is so fascinating. Tom Petty is interviewed, which made me miss him so much, so much. We reviewed that Tom Petty documentary and some Bob Dylan documentaries just a few weeks back, I believe. So please, Echo in the Canyon, 82 minutes, you won't regret it. Number two, thank you for the continued recommendations. Thank you, please keep them coming. I watch as much as I can, but at least one a day, and we try to get to as many as we can during the review section of the show. All right, who's ready for the All-Star game? Quick, who's drafting for the Western Conference? Yeah, you got it, LeBron James. Who's drafting for the Eastern Conference? Yes, you've got it, Giannis. Oh, no? Wait a minute, it can't be Kevin Durant. He plays for the Warriors. He's hurt. Nope, Kevin Durant is your leading vote getter. Kevin Durant is in the Eastern Conference playing for the Brooklyn Nets when he's not out. Kevin Durant and LeBron James will draft their teams. The starters were announced today or yesterday. The usual starters, LeBron James, Luka, Harden, Jokic, Zach Devine, I think, is a starter for the Bulls. Is that possible, Coca? Do I even have the name right? Is it Zach Levine or Zach? I don't know why I'm thinking Zach Devine. I don't think that's the right name. It is Zach Devine. So it's Zach Levine. Thank you. <laughs> that was a total Friday move where I was talking as you were talking. Yes, we're almost we're 15 minutes away, Coca. You can do it. Hang in there. We'll get back on the clubhouse in a minute. 
So Coke is telling me that I'm thinking about Adam Levine, the actor from Maroon 5, who's a singer and was in Begin Again. But no, that's not what I'm thinking of. I actually don't know what I was thinking of, other than the fact that he's on the Bulls and he's now a starter. But that's not the point that I want to talk about. The All-Star Game is being led by two players who have to do a made-for-TV game, a made-for-TV draft. If you've never watched it, they do a whole thing now where the players draft players to be on their team. It's not Eastern Conference versus Western Conference. It doesn't work that way. These teams get drafted. The starters, they get drafted. So you could have Western Conference players with Eastern Conference players, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are the same players who said publicly they don't want to go to Atlanta. They don't want to play in the All-Star game. This is the same show where I told you there is no doubt why there's an All-Star game. It was all about the network and the broadcast, so much so they made it a made-for-TV event. The mayor of Atlanta came out and said, don't come to Atlanta. So what exactly did Adam Silver do when he met the media? You do what you have to do when you have been backed into a corner and you have made your bed and you start to lie in it. Adam Silver had to admit that the All-Star Game is a global event. He had to admit that it was critical for us to have the All-Star Game. He had to admit that everything they've done since the pandemic started and Rudy Gobert tested positive back on March 11th, almost one year ago, there's been critics, there've been supporters. And then he had to go to the go-to line to try to make everything better. He announced a $2.5 million donation. Apparently the idea of Chris Paul to historically black colleges and universities. The NBA and the union will be donating that $2.5 million as part of holding this event and to support awareness, he said, around equity and access to COVID-19 care relief and vaccines. And he said it was Chris Paul's idea. Let me just give you a little background into where this money comes from. As part of the collective bargaining agreement in baseball, as an example, there is money set aside that comes in that instead of being shared with the players or given to the owners, goes into a slush fund of charity, if you will, for every time a hurricane happens, every time there is any sort of social unrest or or any sort of natural disaster, any sort of disaster of any kind where emergency relief is needed in order to be looked at as a good community partner, a good corporate partner, <clears throat> and that's the money that's used. That doesn't make it bad money. It doesn't make it a bad donation. It doesn't make it a non-worthwhile donation. But I just want to give you insight that this is not Adam Silver going to the owners and saying, hey, give me a few hundred grand each. We got to get to two and a half million. Or the Players Association going to the players and saying, hey, give up your pay for playing in the All-Star game. We're going to donate it. And I'm a consequentialist. I don't care where the money came from. I'm just telling you that it's part of a pot of money that is already in existence. Now, why are they giving to historically black colleges and universities? Because that is what they should be doing, especially now, especially in a league that is trying to be at the forefront of equality and of opportunity. We know by the numbers that the deaths of COVID-19 are overwhelmingly higher in the minority community. So that is another very, very worthy cause. 
But make no mistake. The reason Adam Silver chose to meet the media and go on the talk show tour is that he needed to change the narrative because he needed Turner to be comfortable with having this all-star game. He needed everybody to, in all of the corporate sponsors, all the corporate partners, all the stakeholders in the NBA needed to understand that this decision was in the best interests of everybody, including the players, even when they know it's not. That's the interesting thing. When you have to make a decision for your league that you know is a money-based decision, you have to come out and explain to your players why you're doing it and don't pretend it's for any other reason. Because when there's a salary cap and it is based on shared revenue, the players are highly incentivized to have revenue as high as possible. If you're Adam Silver, you announce the donation, you combine with Michelle Roberts from the union, you take the podium and you say, we both agree and we've got the support of our owners and players that we want to give our fans this exhibition game. We both agree, the players and the owners, that making the donation to historically black colleges and universities and to helping with equitable COVID vaccines and COVID-19 relief is the right thing to do with the platforms that we have. And we have stood for the right thing since the beginning of this unrest and of this pandemic. Unification, folks. Unification. Don't go out and try to get unification over the airwaves. You do that behind the scenes, and then you appear on the airwaves as a unified group. That's what should have happened with Adam Silver. But alas, it did not. Speaking of LeBron James, disappointing loss for us. We're back to only three games over 500. We've lost two in a row, our nothing personal pick of the day. We pick a game every day. We go on cold streaks, go on hot streaks. It's almost like we're actually making picks of the day. But we keep track. All these other people who do picks of the day. Have you noticed, by the way? It's my favorite thing, Coca. Does anyone tell you when they've gone 0 and 6 and they give you six picks of the day? Or do they just say, hey, we were 6 and 0? Wait for it. Well, what were you yesterday? What are you going to be tomorrow? I give you one pick. We win, we lose, but I pay attention because I want to win every single pick. But it's hard in the NBA with all the players who are in, who are out, who are not playing, who are playing. Load management, COVID protocols. Oi! Line movement. The Lakers played without Anthony Davis, and I knew they would, and they lost to the Nets. Badly. All right, we got the Celtics playing the Hawks. Hawks have a very good young player. If you haven't watched Trey Young play, please watch him. But please, if you don't mind, take the Celtics, give the four and a half. The Celtics have been struggling. I absolutely understand that. But four and a half to the Hawks? is way too few. I had it when I put it through the Samson nothing personal pick of the day registry. I had the line at six and a half. That means only giving four and a half is a perfect pick. Okay, Celtics minus four and a half. We're 21 and 18. That's the weekend pick. All right. So as spring training starts, one of the things you're going to hear a lot about, all of the unsigned players in baseball. And there's a lot of them because there's people who come out with their lists. The all unsigned free agent team. And you've got some good players in there, some mediocre players in there. 
Most teams have already spent their budget. Some teams have some money left over, but they want to use it at the trade deadline. Or we always had a little bit of a fund if there was some sort of bargain that was so unbelievable that we would sign a remaining free agent into spring training. Or if we had our eye on a player the entire offseason, we would wait for that price to come down if that player didn't sign and wait for that player to become desperate. Or sometimes there was owner special money, like with Pudge Rodriguez in 03. Whoosh, $10 million extra. We thought we had a payroll of 30. No, you got 40. Sign Pudge, win a World Series. Jeffrey, that was a good idea. Thank you. Appreciate the ring. Well, the Mets are one of the teams of four teams maybe who have been increasing their payroll from last year. They have new owner, Steve Cohn. Every day we get to tell you about what a great offseason they had by signing Bauer and Realamuto and Springer. And then every day I have to explain to you that I'm kidding. They didn't get any of those guys. They got James McCann to catch. They traded for Lindor. They traded for Carlos Carrasco. They've got Noah Syndergaard coming back. They've got Marcus Stroman who accepted a qualifying offer because there was no way he was going to do better in the free agent market than the $18.9 million he got for one year. Who's their number two starter? What are they going to do? Well, they just signed a huge free agent. Get ready. Two years, $20 million. Taiwan Walker. You know him? Yeah, one of the remaining free agents. That's it, basically. Two years. Two years. Why? Because Walker had no leverage. He had no deal. Why are the Mets going two years? Because just in case Trevor Bauer opts out of his third year at $17 million, which he will, then the Mets can all of a sudden be in position to try to get Bauer to leave Los Angeles when he doesn't win a World Series for them and say, come to New York. Steve Cohn's the one who said we want to win a World Series in three to five years. You sign a pitcher for two years, it's going to be very difficult, very difficult to win a World Series in that three to five year window. Now, Walker has a player option in the third year. That player option starts at $6 million only. He'll never opt for that unless he stinks. And if he does, then he's going to opt for it. But then he won't be worth $6 million. In this day and age, for a pitcher to not be worth $6 million, he's got to be really, really bad. He can grow that to $8.5 million through escalators and through performance and not being injured. If not, the Mets have to just pay him a $3 million buyout. So Walker gets $10 million this year. Walker gets seven million in twenty-two, and then three million if he gets bought out. That's twenty million over two years guaranteed. That's how you calculate the guarantee—the amount of money that the player will get no matter what. You can't say it's ten this year, seven next year, and then eight and a half the year after. You can't assume he's going to hit all those incentives, and you can't assume that he's going to pick up the player option because if he does hit all those incentives, Walker will likely decline the option, take the $3 million, knowing that he only has to get more than five and a half million from another team in order to make it even to get the eight and a half that he would have gotten had he accepted the player option. You got all that? That's the math that a player does. It's not brain surgery. It's not that the Mets are middling right now. It's an overpay for Walker, but I guess that's what you have to do. Welcome to New York. All right, let's talk about uh, Fernando Tatis. Something came out yesterday, and one of the things with the retention rate in the 90s, you're still listening, and I appreciate that you are. This is about Fernando Tatis, and this is about something I said about Tatis that now has to be wrong. I did not think Fernando Tatis would ever take a discounted contract 
because I thought that he had a father who had been a major leaguer and that he did not have money issues that would cause him to take a contract like Acuna took where you get money, guaranteed money, life-changing money early, and you're willing to give up some on the backside for the guarantee to help your family. I supposed, which you should never look at other people's wallets, never look at other people's checkbooks because you don't know what lives people have. I thought Tatis growing up in a big league clubhouse with a big league uh, player as a father, that he would be smart enough that he wouldn't need to in any way take a discount. And he didn't. So then I said to you on the show, Fernando Tatis took no discount, which is exactly what I predicted. The Padres are taking all the risk and they are in no way needing to sign him this early. Then word comes out that Fernando Tatis Jr. did business with a company called Big League Advance. Big League Advance is a company that searches around for minor league players. They go up to the minor league player and they say, listen, you make no money. You have no money. I'm going to give you money. Here's what I want in return. I want a percentage of every dollar you make at the major league level. The kid says, major league level? I'm 18 years old. I just got drafted. I can't even dream about being a big leaguer. The odds are I'll never be a big leaguer. What happens if I don't become a big leaguer? No problem. Keep the money we gave you. Really? I don't have to pay it back? It's no problem. It's yours. But if you do make the big leagues, we get a percentage of every dollar you make. If you make 500 grand and we owe, we, and you give us 10%, we're taking 50 grand a year. It's like we're another agent. If you sign a contract for 5 million, give me 500 grand. If you sign a contract for 50 million, give me 5 million. If you sign a contract for 340 million, I'm taking 34 million. 340 million, I would never be able to sign a contract that big. I'm 18 years old. I'm not highly touted. My father was damn good. He hit two grand slams in one inning. There's no way I'm going to make that. Fernando Tatis did a deal with Big League Advance. He's acknowledged doing the deal, even though the union has said to its players, minor league players are not represented by the union, has said, do not do business with people who are going to take advances on your money who are going to pay you in advance and then take a percentage of your career earnings. Do not do it. But the union doesn't explain that half the minor leaguers who get the advances, more than half, don't ever make the big leagues and they get money, a little bit of money, to live with for a few years while they figure out what their next career is going to be. This is the first huge hit for this company. We had a player named Andrew Heaney. We drafted him, then we traded him to the Dodgers who traded him to the Angels for Howie Kendrick. Andrew Heaney did the same deal. And I talked to him about it. And his reasoning was sound. I get it. What people do in general is they prey on the weak and the ignorant. They find a way to make people who are potentially rich are rich, think lottery winners. And they bleed them dry until they're right back where they started. The number of Major League Baseball players and professional athletes who end up with no money at the end of their careers would stagger you. It would hurt you. We don't talk about what happens to all these players. We don't do segments on what happens to the 25th man on the team who worked for 10 years, didn't go to college, and now is struggling to find a way to make $30,000 a year or is homeless. We don't talk about those guys until they become a story. There's hundreds and thousands who don't. The success that Tatis has had in getting this contract should bring light to this issue of what big league advance is. 
And if the union or the league does not want players doing business with this company, here's an idea. Pay your players more and give them exit ramps once their careers end, knowing that the odds are they're all going to end before they've made any money, period. But don't pretend that you care about them taking advantage of someone who's willing to give them money to try to help their quality of life now and in return gets an outrageous amount, the one in a 100,000 chance that they've done business with Fernando Tatis. Tatis came out and said he doesn't regret the deal. And of course he doesn't because he used the money that he got wisely. He said to get him in shape, to get him ready to be a big leaguer. Whether he did or did not is not relevant. He did it with his eyes open. It is critical that players, when they are doing business deals, they do it with their eyes open. I've seen so many players get approached with deals and they have no idea what the business deal is. They just want their name on a restaurant, let's say, or they just want to be a part of a company that's going to become a billion dollar valuated company. You want to help players and you're the union or your owners take an active interest. If you're an agent, let us take an interest. Don't come back to me when I offer to help your player and say, no, we don't want the help. We take care of that. We have our own financial advisors who we give the players. Really? That's called self-dealing. You want to make change? Start with yourselves. Don't criticize a player like Fernando Tatis who made a deal with the company who was willing to invest in him in a way that no one else was. Not the league, not the players, not the agent, not anybody. Big League Advance is a very simple concept. Very simple. It is just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.